My journey has been one of returning from the darkness and stepping out into the light once more. I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logos and Trivial. While you're sitting trying to figure that out, this is my podcast. Allegedly. Logos and Trivial podcast. <laughs> I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logos and Trivial. Maybe you're also Logos and Trivial. While you're trying to figure out how to pronounce that and what it means to you, let me intru- introduce today's special guest. I have with me the man, the myth, the temporarily, occasionally silenced man, Patriot J. Welcome, my friend. What's up, brother? How are you doing? Another beautiful day in paradise, my friend. How about you? I'm doing good, man. I got out the Twitter gulag. I'm feeling free and liberated. That's nice, man. There's a there's nothing worse than a gulag. Yeah, it's not fun in there, let me tell you. You get to watch all your friends have fun on the outside, and you're just... You're just there wondering if Twitter forgot about you, wondering when they're going to respond to your appeal, wondering if you're ever going to get your account back. <laughs> yeah, and then you're over there on Parlor, like, man, this this is whack. <laughs> Dude, Parlor is not fun. Straight up, Parlor is boring. Parlor is where all the old people go to tweet out MAGA boomer memes. I don't know. I just felt like I was, I felt like I was the one like left out, and I should not be if I'm the young person on the internet, you know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I I tried that out for about a week, and I thought this is not this is not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, cause you, I remember your account got suspended uh, first, right? You yeah, no I I, I may or may not have had a couple accounts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't we don't want to talk about that. We don't evade bans around here. No, that's against the rules. Yeah, I've never been on Twitter before. I just am. Well, just same here. I'm also giving Twitter a shot recently, so that's awesome, dude. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) So look, uh, I mean, we kind of touched on some stuff there, but this is the second time you've been on this podcast. Yes, sir. And and back in the day, it was still you sitting at a keyboard on your Abbey, just uh, going to law school, and and, still got a keyboard. I'm still in school. There we go. (laughs) And uh, you had not quite. reach the level of let's say uh, widespread notoriety that you yeah. have in the in the last year or so and right. it's been fun to watch you grow Thanks, uh, you're you're sort of uh i hesitate to to say that you're uh right wing necessarily but you you're more uh, let's call it uh, individualistic in your uh political persuasions and you've had a lot to say yeah. about these things and made some connections uh over the last little while in regards to that, you've done some interesting stuff and um, you got into a little bit of controversy recently and, and we're able to come back out of that. Uh, it looks like stronger than ever, I suppose, but <laughs> yeah. why don't you, for those people who aren't familiar with you, just kind of let them know who you are and, and what you're about. And then we can, we can get a little deeper into things. All right. I'll give them my little spiel. Um, Patriot J musician, law student, prolific tweeter, GOP shill, hostile foreign power. Uh, that covers it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just the guy who tweets my opinions, and I have a lot of them. The world's pretty messed up these days, so it's no shortage of uh, ridiculous takes. Hmm. So one of the things that makes you particularly interesting uh, in the political realm, I suppose, is that you are a hip hop artist and that there's only uh, 
really like a handful of, of folks. There's like on, three of us on this side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and one of them everybody thinks is crazy. So I guess uh, <laughs> maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But yeah. <laughs> he's he's five billions worth of crazy, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but what uh, I guess, how does being a musician impact your thinking around how you might influence others uh, in their political thought? Um, that's a great question. I think being a musician kind of makes me see things from a different perspective and like more of a like creative side. Like when I make music, it's all about being creative and trying to like put different energies into one product and get something finished. So when I'm kind of like, I guess, doing my political advocacy, I'm always trying to think of like the end game and kind of how do we get people to to get somewhere and it's all about like a creative process of moving people's ideas and thoughts and shaping their behaviors and patterns and whatnot. Hmm. And I think a lot of what has really been driving political conversation uh, in recent years is the entertainment aspect of it, whether it's sort of like a yeah. radical leftist influence in the movies and things like this, pushing people one way or the other or putting stuff on their screen or, or whether it's uh, people like you who are creating something maybe uh, sort of diametrically opposed to that, that way of thinking. But yeah. what I'm trying to get at is that you have an understanding as an artist that there's, uh, there's a, there's a storyline to be had. And yeah. I think a lot of people sort of maybe talk about that, but you're actually involved in creating something like that. And I wonder what does that creative process look like for you as you, sit down to create a piece of art and then you're you're simultaneously trying to uh, maybe put forth some ideas that you think are important to talk about in a in a broader discourse um so my creative process i don't know it varies from like song to song i guess but it's typically a long process like sometimes i'll think of an idea and i'm like oh this sounds cool so like for the song i just dropped meet patriot j i um I had the idea to change my name from Jay Hots to Patriot J. I was like, yeah, this sounds great. This is on brand. I like it. And so I knew I wanted to do like an introduction, if you will. Um, Cause like one of my favorite rappers, Eminem, his first song was like, hi, my name is Slim Shady. It's just like, hello, I'm introducing you to, so my idea with that was kind of like, all right, I'm going to introduce the world to myself. And so I said like, what do they need to know about me? So um, I'm saving the day, um, Patriot J. That's why I repeat that like five million times. I just wanted to get stuck in their heads. Um, I bust down the amendments because I'm a law student. Um, and then I just spit bars because I like rap. And so I think it's a very it's a very good like summation of myself in a song. I like the song. Uh, you, Thank you. You, uh, you let me in on a little bit a while ago and um, I'm into hip hop. I've been ahead for a long time. Man. Yeah, dude. I remember you put me onto Adele in our last conversation. <laughs> Talk about a guy who can see into the future and rap about it. That guy's <laughs> yeah. yeah, for yeah. sure. That Deltron 3030 album still just stands up as one of my favorites to this day. It's something else. Uh, but I guess that's it's not the Dell podcast right now. Um, <laughs> so look, uh, I, I want to touch on this little bit of business you found yourself in because Alrighty. I think a lot of people want to hear from you about yeah. all of this. And, um it's my understanding you, you had one of these copy pasta tweets that was just uh, one of these copy pasta tweets that 
you just kind of put it out there. It said a lot of stuff that you might have said anyway. And it just it's, it's humorous <laughs> yeah. to do that too. A bunch of people just sort of line up and 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 pump this stuff out. And when that does happen, a lot of times it is bots that are doing that. Oh, yeah. And I guess uh, because the the right is universally reviled by about ninety percent of the internet. Um, you know, you and and Malcolm got reported however many thousands of times Dude. by the hate mob and and you both got booted and i guess i wonder what's that experience been like for you how did the appeal process go what are your thoughts surrounding it let's uh, let's dig into that a little bit well for one i can't believe i beat the case like i really didn't think they were going to let me back in i had kind of after two weeks my hope was lost i was like whatever um but i thought the i thought the band was great i thought the troll was perfect because we ended up trolling like the right wing and the left wing. At first, the right wing boomers thought we were all trying to infiltrate the right. So they started reporting us. Right. And so and so when they started reporting us, um, the liberals saw that and the liberals were like, whoa, no, these guys have to be Russian bots. So then they started reporting us. And I think once we had like both the right and the left report us, Twitter had to get us out of there. But um, the appeal process was pretty pretty lengthy, a little disappointing at, at points. Cause, um, I had a couple other friends who were also suspended the same day, um, for spam, but I think it was just because they associate with my account or whatever. But after a week into the suspension, they got theirs back on the same day. I wake up, I still don't have mine back. I wake up the next day. I still don't have mine back. Another week goes by and I don't have mine back. So I sent, um, I had, I sent another email to Twitter and then, uh, that was the night before, I got reinstated and here I am. Hmm. So as you were on hiatus there, you know, we talked about trying parlor and how that's, that's a platform that still needs a lot of work. Uh, yeah. If it's ever going to get the work put into it. I, I Par Parlor's just not fun. The user interface is not friendly at all. Um, and I really didn't know what I was doing on there. And I spent like two weeks on that app. Hmm. I'm never going so back. If, yeah, I, yeah. if I get kicked yeah. again, that's it. I would not go to parlor. I'll just start an Instagram account or something. <laughs> yeah, man. I feel that. Especially, I got a buddy who got kicked off of there for questioning some of their terms of service. Oh. You sent him an email. They booted him off. It's like, well, that's not, that's kind of the opposite of what you were promising. So cool. <laughs> right. See you later. <laughs> but okay. So what I'm curious uh, about in, in one regard is as you were sort of on this forced hiatus from Twitter, I wonder how your your sort of Twitter fast, if you will, affected the way that you were looking at the world, thinking about things, since you didn't have the opportunity to just, you know, be right here and go, oh, I'm gonna tweet the thought that I have. How did you yeah. how did you take that momentum and, and that energy that you had formerly been spending on Twitter and turn it to something else or or deal with that uh, sort of drive to put out your thoughts? Well, so I got um I got suspended. It was probably like the second day that I was in Vegas. And so I still had a couple weeks left. So I was suspended the entire time. And um, without Twitter, I was forced to do nothing but read. So I was just reading for school pretty much every day. And it was cool. It was cool. Um, but I felt like super out of the loop without Twitter because I didn't know what was going on on a day-to-day -day basis. I would have to like sign into the app and check out the trending topics if I wanted to see what people were talking about. It's probably a good idea that I didn't have Twitter when uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse guy shot those people. 
oh man i would have pissed some people <laughs> off this i know so it was it's okay to just chill sometimes uh <laughs> but uh yeah I, I think i just felt out of the loop i didn't really know what was going on in the world while you're on that break i guess I, i'm curious there's a there's a there's a strong component of addiction to the whole Twitter yeah. situation. Yeah, I and think that, I'm definitely addicted. Yeah, and and probably the same goes for the the sort of news cycle. Yeah, and, and I guess I wondered, did you did you reflect on that at all while you were kind of away, or did you just like were you just itching to get back? Like I need the, I, I need my rocks. I need I need my rocks. <laughs> I need my dopamine, Jack. No, um, I mean I was checking my email very frequently to see if I, if I would get something from Twitter. But um, it was actually pretty nice to not tweet for a couple weeks because I've been tweeting damn near every day for the past like ten years or so. So it's just like it was nice. I don't know if I would do that again voluntarily, but it was nice. It was a little relaxing. I got like a mental breather. Sometimes it's overwhelming reading everybody's thoughts while you're scrolling, but. Yeah, you know, I, I had to, I had to figure out for myself that I really, I don't spend a lot of time on the timeline. I, I tweet what I think and I might scroll through like three or four seconds worth of stuff. Is there anything yeah. that catches my eye? Nah, all right, I'm good. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put in my own thoughts and, and never mind all these other thoughts. But uh, I guess that's just the way that I look at it. And I'm I'm less sort of uh, actively involved in a lot of the things that you're that you're involved in. Yeah, I can get stuck scrolling for hours. It sucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm curious, man. Do you do you see that as a problem then? Because you just said it sucks. I, I wonder your thoughts on your own self control in that regard. Um. No, I don't see it as a problem because, like, I've tweeted and now I have about 38,000 followers. So it's like at least I'm being productive on the platform and I'm not just, like, tweeting to 10 people every day. Hmm. So it's like I feel like I'm making a little bit of noise, so it's kind of worth it now. My 10-year addiction has finally paid off. Yeah, 10-year overnight success. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is a grind, though. I don't know, just figuring out how to tweet, how to reach different audiences, how to appeal to certain subjects, what to say, how to piss people off, what not to say. Hmm. I have a friend named Thomas Bevan, and one thing that he said early in my Twitter time really has stuck with me, and he said, Twitter's the flyer, not the gig. And yeah. I, I feel like people like you who actually have a gig um, – Twitter can be a useful tool, and I, I wonder how you have used the platform to be able to drive traffic to your other projects, your music. Uh, I'm not sure if you're still throwing it, but you were putting on a, like a, a local area music. Yeah, I, I was doing thing. that until COVID, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I'm in California, so it's like I don't – if I try to throw a party, they will find me to death. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I think um, – Assassinate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think Twitter's a great uh, platform to kind of – get attention on whatever you want really because it's just about like going viral and then putting the good content in the people's faces and if the content's good they'll eat it up if it's bad they'll tell you it's trash <laughs> and i think i like twitter because it's kind of easier to go viral because you can just you can just tweet like you can just tweet anything and something will take off. But like, it, it's like you, you have unlimited tries at 
going viral, I guess, because there's a chance for any tweet to pop off. But let's say if I were uploading YouTube videos, spending like hours a day editing them, I could not churn out like three videos in one day. And people people wouldn't watch three videos in one day either for me. Yeah. And and but, YouTube but has a weird tweet. algorithm. They, yeah. It's, it's tough to tell what's going to pop off there. I, I did an impression i saw that one when you tweeted about it and, and yeah and it's i mean i'm not some youtube star or it's not like but it's it's sitting close to fifty thousand views now and it just happened right. one day just like it yeah. just started taking off and people were like i'm not sure why this ended up in my recommendations but it's pretty funny <laughs> i was so like funny. i'm not i'm not sure either and I, I guess you know you talked about how you understand a little bit of what works on twitter and what doesn't and how to uh, get eyeballs and get attention and you you gained you know 35 of your 37,000 followers or whatever in the last year and, yeah and I, I since, what... um, since May actually in May I had 4,500 mm. yeah and so it's been and a, so it's been a fun five months what clicked for you to be able to help you understand the game a little better um I, I I took off the filter. I I just said stuff that I would want to normally say, but I would tell myself not to say, but I said it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I did that. And then um, I don't know, just like what, noticing certain things that go viral and like looking for similarities in between the viral tweets. And it's like, okay, why did this go viral? Like, why did this one not go viral? I put like nigga in my tweets sometimes intentionally to go viral. It's fun. Hmm. Do you do you speak like that in your day-to-day life or are you just is that a tool? Um I do use the word nigga a lot, but I don't know. The way I the way I t- talk is mostly similar to the way I tweet. I don't know. I'm pretty verbose. I like words a lot. That's why I like rap music too. It's just a bunch of words really. None of that bullshit musical filler words are awesome nouns subject verbs predicates adverbs all that so i think um i think my tweets are pretty similar to the way i talk hmm. um I, the reason i ask is and i wasn't i didn't necessarily suspect you but there's a syndrome that some people have like a will smith for example where you can you can tell he's a black guy who doesn't know how to be a black guy and he's pretending. <laughs> it's, it's really weird you know he'll be like he'll you know he'll say stuff yeah. like like my do and he'll he'll uh, say yeah. <laughs> and he'll say he's like dude you you sound like my dad trying to right s- say like my, my do you will say <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and and uh but he's he's figured out a way to stay relevant and i, I guess he's just got a longevity thing too he was the french yeah. or the fresh prince and summertime was on everybody's playlist when i was a little kid uh, yeah. but you know I, I guess i wonder in your case, now that you have gained this pretty significant following and it seems to just continue to grow and grow, uh, what's your, what's your, what is your long-term game plan with all this newfound influence look like? Um, it's something that I haven't thought too deeply about. Um, all I know is right now, I just want to put out a good album and have a lot of people listen to it. Hmm. That's that's my main focus right now. 
couple years down the line, I don't know, I'll swindle everybody for some campaign donations when I run for office, but. Patriot J 2024. What up? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, I, I asked that same question to Jack Basobic the last time he was on here. Yeah. Cause I know he's a good guy and he, I mean, he gets super, he good gets guy. more poison sent to him than just about anybody besides the president, I guess. But you know, I said, Jackie, what are you going to do with all this? You got a million followers. There's got to be some, some direction. And he's a little older than you. He's, he's a, I think a year older than I am. So he's had more time to think about it and he's been playing yeah. the game a long time and everything. And he said, well, you know, I just, uh, I kind of want to put some eyeballs on the things I believe in. I want to be more focused on my faith. I want to, uh, put some eyeballs on this, uh, alternative to abortion, uh, organization that I'm working with, let them live. And just, it was cool to that guy. He's got all this influence and then he's willing to kind of open up and share his heart. And, and right yeah. now you're entering a place where you have, you kind of, opened up the floodgates by being a little more willing to share who you are. But now you're entering yeah. into this place where it's almost like you might have to pull back again a little bit and say, what do I want to say? Cause do I want to right. lose my ability to be on this platform and to share the things that are most important? And I guess I wonder how you, how you're thinking about being able to juggle those, those two aspects. I'll say like the only I think the only impact I guess gaining a significant audience has had on maybe what I'm willing to tweet and what I'm not willing to tweet. It's just like, I, I'm not willing to tweet stupid shit anymore that people would kind of think of as like a generic Twitter tweet, like, oh, I just woke up from my sleep or I'm about to eat. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes I just miss shit posting on like doing stupid stuff. Like, like <laughs> yesterday, oh my God, yesterday, um, I was at this, uh, I was at this like gay bar with Baked Alaska. It's a really weird story. We can talk about that later. But um, on the on the window, they had like a bunch of the names of the people who've been shot by the police or whatever. Tamir Rice was on there, and I was I was almost gonna make a joke about Tamir Rice being like a uh, an a menu item on some fancy <laughs> fancy liberal restaurant. <laughs> I was like, nah, that's not. Sometimes I just don't want to deal with the backlash, and I. What blew me away, I tweet like, I tweet about, I don't know, crazy liberals, crazy commies. I tweeted about like race mixing one time and everybody was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> it blew me away. I didn't realize that was the trigger, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's weird with the stuff that people will latch onto. And I, and I think too, it's, it's sort of a, people expect you to, conform to a series of messages once you put content out on one aspect of yeah. sort of a political platform. And then when you veer from that at all, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, yeah. I thought we were on the same team here, but, uh, but Buster, that, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> but that goes, that goes against like politics. You can't expect somebody to agree with you a hundred percent. The only person I'm ever going to agree with a hundred percent is myself, you know? And I hate when people are like, well, bro, I thought you liked Trump. Like, oh, I thought you were a conservative. And it's like, yeah, dude, I like that. But I also care about these other issues, you know? It's... Yeah, and it's not like, a, however you feel about Trump, he does some good stuff, he does some bad stuff. It's not like he's some uh, in, evil incarnate or some heavenly yeah. angel who makes right. no mistakes. He's it's, just another president. And he's a dude. <laughs> and, and this, I mean... I love this hand gesture. I hope this is part of the political repertoire from now on. 
<laughs> I might, I'll, I'll utilize that when I refer. Walrus Ante, that's the ticket. It used to be this. You know, like, I did not yeah. have sexual, <laughs> but, uh, but, now, uh. but now it's this. <laughs> pedophile. What do you mean? <laughs> I didn't touch him. <laughs> I have a funny little story about a gay bar. I, I won some tickets off a local radio station uh-huh. with my friend, and I got pretty drunk. And I wanted to get more drunk after the show. And so we were just kind of staggering along and we ended up, there was the, only one bar around yeah. and there was a guy outside should have been my first cue. He was all dressed up in leathers and like coiffed hair and the drinks inside. Good. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. We walk in there and I ordered two kamikazes and my friend didn't want to drink anymore. So I ended up uh, drinking both, but he goes to the bathroom and he comes back. He's like, chance. This is a gay bar. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, it's not. He's like, look around. And I look around and it was like one of those scenes from a movie where you make a realization is like dudes and speedos on the walls. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, you're like, oh, oh shit, this is a gay, gay bar. <laughs> and, and, the, <laughs> and the bartender comes over. He's like, sweetie, we had you pegged us straight from the moment you walked in, but you're welcome here and we make the best drinks. I was like, well, this is a good kamikaze. I'm going to finish my, finish my drink before I head out of here. So I appreciate you. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so okay i wonder then what are some of the what are some of the things that you care about or that you think about or maybe you think a little differently than the the sort of standard conservative talking points or platform um one thing i'm very adamant about is ending the federal reserve or i guess mm-hmm. i don't know uh amending it um I also would like to repeal the 16th Amendment, which uh, authorizes Congress to collect income tax. Um, I'm not too fond of the 17th Amendment either, which provides for direct election of United States senators as opposed to having the state legislatures choose senators. Um, that's it, kind of. Let's let's take those in reverse. Why Why are you... Less a fan of direct election of senators. Um, so 16 and 17A were products of the progressive era. And those guys, they make them out to be like some sort of progressive superheroes in our textbooks. But the progressive movement was pretty racist. They believed in eugenics. And they also gave us they also gave us the 18th Amendment, which was the only amendment to be overturned, uh, prohibition against alcohol. So we should probably get rid of their other two amendments. But I think uh, getting rid of direct election of senators will kind of force people to pay attention to their local politics, because if their state legislatures are in charge of choosing the federal senators, then they're obviously going to pay more attention to who they elect as a state senator or a state assemblyman. And I feel like a lot of people just don't care about, um, they don't care about like local level politics anymore. And that's pretty sad. So I feel like that would be a good way to kind of rein in some local attention. And plus, um, that's the way we were set up. That's the way the founders uh, believed our system should work, where we should not directly elect our senators, because, again, the, the Senate is the chamber for the states. And I don't think the founders were wrong in that intent. Hmm. So is that then um, maybe like a baby step in, a, in another direction where we pull back a little bit from the centralized power and return to a, a stronger federalist system? Yes, dude, we need more federalism. I hate this. Um, 
I hate this era of people just wanting to give power to the to the federal government or um, like people relying on the Supreme Court to make uh, legislation when really we should be voting on um, on these things. Like the Constitution does not say there is a right to abortion, but we can all pass a law and give us a right to an abortion if we want. I just think we're we're leaving um, too much power to to these institutions when we should take some of our power back because because hmm. could you imagine like i don't know how much more well received gay marriage would be if it was the product of like a long-term uh social movement and passing passing laws in all 50 states like i feel like that's something just an example of something like it would be more i don't know people would be less abrasive to the idea if something happened like incrementally state by state. And then it's, and you look around, it's like, Oh, all 50 States have done this. Cool. We didn't even need the Supreme court. Those are just nine people in robes. Hmm. Yeah. And, and another aspect of that, that's sort of disturbing to me is the lifetime appointment. I mean, I know that's supposed to be a situation where you avoid uh, political jockeying, but that has not been the case at all. And I, I think once you have somebody who's so deeply entrenched in a position of such great power, that's, there until they either step down or die and they're making such profoundly impactful decisions that are going to impact the entire country you you really have to question whether or not that's such a good idea and i, I yeah i'm and, uh, sort of on board with the with the thinking around uh, a localization of the emphasis of political power yeah when we give these guys like lifetime seats and it's supposed to make them impartial to the political process or whatever. And that makes sense. But then you see these guys constantly um, bending to the, to the mob or the will of the people. And they, they won't necessarily say that of course, but like, I don't know, chief justice Roberts, this guy is supposed to be like the biggest conservative hero. And he, he's the guy who uh, upheld the Obamacare decision. And he pretty much said like, yeah, I, I didn't want to be that guy to like overturn it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is a tax and everything, but meh, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. What are you gonna do? <laughs> the guy's black. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not for nothing, but, uh, you know, <laughs> see what had happened was, <laughs> okay. So what about, uh, let's talk a little bit about the federal reserve. Yeah. I'm, let's talk about that. I mean, I'm not a big fan. I read the creature from Jekyll Island. Nice. Yeah. Which I just, um, I just recorded a song the other day titled Creature from Jekyll Island about the Fed. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, why don't you why don't you uh, get into some of the themes you talked about in the song and we can, we can play around um, with this. Let me pull up the lyrics. Uh, I mean, you, you can flow it out if you want. That's cool. Oh, I know, huh? I guess I can do that. Um, rich men meeting, so we in private. We up to something, so keep it silent. Printing some money, yeah, we gonna try it. Here comes the creature from Jekyll Island. That's the chorus, but that's pretty much the theme of it. Um, trying to trying to like I don't know, tell the story about the creature from Jekyll Island, if you will. Hmm. And what is your, or or what are chief among your issues with the Federal Reserve? Um. Well, for one, it's. It was drafted by these guys in 1910 on Jekyll Island. It was like a group of bankers and senators. I think only one senator, but like, I don't know. It was, it was obviously the elite. And these guys wrote the bill 
three years before they passed it. They obviously planned it with malicious intent. They're hiding on this Jekyll Island. Um, I dislike that they just print money and we're expected to pay interest on the money that they print, even though they don't print money for the interest, you know? Hmm. That that just rubs me the wrong way. It's like, oh, we're we're in debt perpetually. Like, how are we ever going to get out of this if the people who print the money are the people we owe the money to and they're not printing the interest? I don't know. I just think um, I think we should not have like a centralized bank. Hmm causes a little too much power. Everybody talks about the Fed as these like great people who can control the economy and determine the ebb and flows of of the monetary system, but that just sounds like too much power to give a board of I think like 13 individuals who are not even uh what not even like elected, they're just appointed. Yeah. So when I when I look at the Fed, uh, one of the things I often think about is how uh, you, you can start talking about the Fed and people uh, accuse you of being a tinfoil hat type. It's like, yeah, well, but the problem, the problem is conspiracies do exist. And this is one that exists and is real. Right. And you can see the effects of it all the time. It's like, what's, why am I, why am I a tinfoil hat guy? Because I'm going, look, Here's the actual history. Here's what they actually literally do. And here's why I think it's a problem. You might it's, not think it's a problem, but you don't even know the history of the facts surrounding what it is. You think because it's called the Federal Reserve. That, <laughs> that it's, it's federal and it's a reserve. No, it's a, it's a federal euphemism. Now, I think, um, I don't know, anytime you do your own independent research and you come to your own conclusions, people are just like, oh, well, you're a conspiracy theorist. Like somebody didn't tell you that information. It, it's not true, but it's like, nah, I have, I have the capacity to think for myself and do my own research and come to my own conclusions. It's not that hard. I'm sorry you don't. Hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I think um, a lot of creative types especially feel that way. That's part of being a creative type is you go, well, I, I see the world a certain way and I want to express that. And I want to do it in a way that's unique yeah. to me. I'm going to make these things. And on the one hand, people really love and respect their artists that they connect with. But on the other hand, uh, they they want the art to just be art. And then the people who created it to totally distance themselves from all right. the opinions experience that led up to them being able to create that art. Yeah, it's like, and no, I, it's, it's a holistic process. You can't separate really the art from the artist because the artist makes the art yeah yeah and you know i've i've stumbled across this a couple times where there's somebody who makes something like say a great movie or some really interesting music and then i find out maybe some of their ideas about the world and i and then i have to contend with that and i think well i really love the music i what am i going to do about that do i, do I just <laughs> yeah not because I have a differing opinion on things. And, and if you're honest and you're not sort of like a jackass, you go, well, yeah. okay, I can disagree with this person and still appreciate what they do. And I think maybe art is a good vehicle for people to be able to remember that they have the capacity to not despise somebody if they disagree with them on something that's important. And I, and I wonder your experience with that both coming at you and then maybe because you are an artist, how you uh, maybe contend with that process yourself. Hmm. Well, I feel like for me, um, if if there's like somebody, if there's somebody I listen to and they say some shit I don't like, I I don't really hate them because like I can understand where they're coming from. 
Um, like, let's say, like Eminem, he's my favorite rapper. Um, he put out this album, Revival. It's like anti-Trump trash or whatever. Um, I tried to listen to it. I hated it. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to, um, I tried to give it another shot recently. I still didn't like it, but um, I didn't like go and delete every single Eminem song from my folder because he doesn't like Trump. Like, nah, I just listened to his next album after that or his other albums where he doesn't talk about the big bad orange man. Um, but I think, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that difficult of a task to kind of separate the art from the artists where they, they don't agree with you. Unless it's like, I don't know, unless it's like detrimental and your favorite rapper says, fuck every black Trump supporter. <laughs> it's like, all right, man, if, if, if you meet me, we're not going to slide. No, this this happened to me one time. I was um, I was listening. I'm a big fan of the game. I was listening to his newest album recently, and I was it was like my first listen through. And I was like, I played a song and I'm like, yeah, I like this song. It's a song with Nipsey Hussle. And then there's this bar and he goes, make America great again. You a fucking coon. And I was like, oh, come on, game. Like <laughs> you had to go and ruin a great song by calling me a coon. <laughs> but it's I don't know. It's whatever. No, nothing like personally impacts me because I don't know any of these people that I listen to or watch on TV. So it's yeah. it's it's just like me being a, a spectator. I, I ran into that a little bit recently with Ira the Rugged Man. He went on Zuby's podcast. And, and oh, I knew yeah. Really I watched that podcast. First of all, that was a great podcast. And then he just he started talking reckless in the end. I could tell he wanted to call Zuby a coon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. There's there's no reason in the world why you should believe Candace Owens says Bible at all. I mean, you know, they've been doing this forever. <laughs> that shit was funny yeah and you know I, I reached out to Zuby afterwards and I was like what did you? I was I was pretty glad that you just you didn't he act kept like his, he kept his composure yeah, yeah. Zuby is well, such a great that. host yeah he's good and he's 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 been able to you know I asked him about that on the podcast before I was like look you got all this influence now man and you just kind of exploded with your with your weightlifting records and yeah and how are you going to deal with that? He said, well, it's not like I, I've been, I've been out on the streets talking to hundreds of people a day sometimes for years and years. It's not like I'm new to being in front of people or having influence or I just like, I've skyrocketed into the world at this point, but it took forever and I'm ready for it. I'm going to keep my calm. I'm going to keep my cool. Yeah. That's what makes Zuby Zuby. But it was a, you know, it can be a little different because Ari the Rugged Man, as far as uh, skill, Spinning goes. There are a few who have quite the talent that he has and the, yes. the decades of experience. And and you know, Zuby made it clear that he really respected the guy and thought he's one of the most underrated rappers in the world. And then to be able to be confronted with somebody that you maybe have held up as a as a example or like a role model, and then to be like, yeah. whoa, a man, like I respect you as a rapper, but I think we have disagreements here, and right. and I'm going to. I'm going to stand my ground. I thought that was pretty impressive that he was able to do that. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of. There are a few Twitter people who can do that too. Especially like. anymore. But I've been able to connect with a lot of people who have a lot of influence. And, and what I've seen time and again is that they're just human beings. You know, you, you, yeah. you talk to them a little bit and it's like, oh, this is just a dude. This is just a girl. This is just a person that I would meet, except they figured out some things. And I wonder now. 
you've you've probably been able to connect with some of the people that you thought were just like these unavailables or these untouchables now that you have a little more influence and people are sort of paying attention to you. And I wonder sort of your experience in in dealing with a higher, maybe like a another paradigm of influence and influencers from a, maybe like a top looking down and then yeah. looking and if there's just like, okay, you got 30 something, almost 40,000 followers now, but then there are people with 50 million followers. There's, yeah. there's levels. And I wonder how you kind of think about these things and your place in it and maybe your responsibility now that you have so many eyeballs on you. Well, I think um, I've always, I've always known I was going to be in a position like this, even when I had like 300 followers. And so similar, I guess, to what Zuby was saying, I guess I've like mentally prepared myself, uh, but I think a good part of just expanding my network with influential people is um, like you were saying, just remembering that they're human because it's kind of, it's easy to forget that like the little avatar you see is a real person sometimes, just not this guy with all these opinions, but they're real people. And when you talk to people like real people, they'll connect with you more than if you were to kind of like say, Hey, I need you to do this for me. And you have this account, please retweet this. Like it's all about just, it's just about being a genuine person. And I think that's, that's how I'm able to make connections with people. Cause I'm just myself. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna front and act like I'm somebody I'm not, I'm not gonna like hit up somebody with the intentions of getting them to do this. I'm just gonna be like, Hey, I like your shit. It would be cool if you follow me back or something or like, Hey, thanks for the follow back. I've been tweeting with you for a long time. Hmm. <clears throat> there was a there was that interview that Dave Portnoy did with Donald Trump a while back. Yeah, and, saw that one. And I thought he did a great job because he did the same thing I do here. I always try to make sure that I treat the people on this podcast like they're a person and to try to try to give them a chance to show a little bit of their heart and to maybe try to get them off the script a little bit so we can yeah. see who they are as a human and not just as a talking point. And I thought that Dave Portnoy did a good job with the president of just sort of treating him like a human. I mean, obviously he was a little bit like, I didn't, I, you know, this is my first interview, man. You know? I, <laughs> yeah. I, well, he's doing pretty good. That's it. It's pretty good. Pretty good. But <laughs> yeah. Crazy. First interview is the president. Like, and, and I saw that and I watched it right when it came out and I thought, man, this guy, and I said, so I said, this is the best interview that he's had since he was president because he got treated like a person. And, and lo and behold, he treated Dave like a person too. They were two humans talking. And then I started watching some of the conversations surrounding it and people on the left were like, Oh, you didn't, you didn't stick him to him and you didn't tear him down. And people you on the right were like, Oh, you didn't talk about the talking points and every yeah. like, all the extreme political people on both sides hated it. And I thought, Oh, this guy did it exactly right. And I, it's, it's very strange to me. People get into a position of influence and then people forget about their humanity and they want them just to be some sort of golden idol or figurehead. And yeah. if, if, if Donald Trump was just a, the old rich guy in your neighborhood, you wouldn't talk to him like that. You wouldn't expect anything right. out of him. Like, that's the old rich guy in the neighborhood. And he's always with these young chicks. It's like, <laughs> dude, you know, like, but now that he's the president and suddenly everybody has to have him be exactly as they pretend he is in their head. And when he veers from that, or he is something similar to that, then it gives them all the fuel they need to just treat him like he's not a human being. And I wonder have you started to see any of that coming your way where you're just a figurehead for your ideas or a movement rather than just Patriot J, the dude who makes music and has opinions? Yeah, I definitely have. People people have tried to like get me out of here. I've had death threats 
people are like, oh man, Patriot J is racist MAGA supporter. Y'all better protect him. Like, but it's like, dude, I just tweet people. I think people, because I'm ardent about my support of President Trump and they don't know President Trump. I'm like the closest thing to President Trump for them. They see me like in the White House and stuff. They're like, oh, this guy's going somewhere. Let's get him out of here. But um, they forget that I'm just the guy who tweets my opinions. And just like everybody else on Twitter, we just tweet our opinions. You can just block me if you don't like it. You don't have to go on this like moral crusade against the big bad Patriot Jay all because of his opinions. I think it's silly. And I think, um, like, again, I've been tweeting for a long time. Like, Twitter used to be insensitive. People would people would tweet something ridiculous and then get followers because that shit was funny. <laughs> now it's like, if you tweet something off the cusp, people are going to come for your head. They're going to try to silence you. They're going to try to cancel you. They're going to try to slander you. And it's a little ridiculous. But I think... I think people have always wanted to kind of put people in a box. And so now, um, like even, even with me, like being black, I'm not supposed to be a conservative or whatever, but um, even more so now I'm like a, I'm a big black conservative and it's scary because I'm popular online. So people have to take these stands against me to gain brownie points amongst their friends. Or blackie points even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've had like, uh, some girl, she told me, she was like, hey, my boyfriend told me to unfollow you, but I just want to let you know that I agree with everything you say. And it's like, thanks, I guess. Well, <laughs> but, but are you going to unfollow me? Or? <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe you need a new boyfriend. I don't know. <laughs> For real. Uh, how, just as a, a random little curiosity, um, how has Twitter affected your personal romantic life do you do you find yourself do you ever run into people where they're like oh that's patriot j i know you from twitter um it hasn't really affected my romantical life but yesterday i went to some like magna rally in beverly hills a couple of people were like bro are you patriot j and i was like yeah sometimes when i'm not banned <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was pretty cool but i mean i've always been i guess i've always been recognized from the internet just like locally from when I was tweeting and when I was Jay Hots and stuff. Hmm. But it's cool now to have like, I like, I like the Patriot J brand. Cause when people come up to me, they're like, Hey, are you Patriot J? I know exactly where they're staying. So it's cool. Like we're already on, we're already on a good foot. Hmm. As opposed to having a sort of no necessarily um, philosophical leaning to the Jay Hots name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pe people are just like, "Oh, you're Jayhots." I've heard a lot of good and bad things about you, and I'm like, "All right, cool." <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's something I'm curious about, uh, because you used to do the the local music thing, and and yeah, virus has kind of shut that down for now. Um, let's suppose that things in the next year or in two years, you're able to get that back up and rolling, would you do it again? And would it have a different emphasis than it used to because of your sort of increased notoriety, especially in the political sense? Would it, would it be more of like a, a conservative focused musical yeah. thing or would um, it just local artists and giving them a chance to I don't, do what they That's a good question. Um, as much as I would wanna like, I don't know, keep it local-ish, 
I wouldn't really want to do that. It seems more fun to throw like a Patriot J Freedom Fest, call up Bryson Gray, fly him out, have Anomaly do a couple songs. Because that just that just sounds like more of a good time to me. But I mean, obviously, local people would still come. But I don't know. I was thinking about that. And I think I might have to do a little rebranding in the festival or something. Hmm. That kind of brings me to another avenue of curiosity, which is, okay, we've got this Patriot J 2024 thing starting to bubble up. And, you know, you're giving yourself plenty of time to feel things out and scope the situation and, and make sure that you're getting your cards lined up. And yeah, it seems to me to be the case that with your uh, talent for music and your creative stuff that you might have a very unique angle or a relatively unique angle on being able to create momentum and create interest in what you're doing politically through the music and through having contacts with people like Anomaly or, or being able to bring people who come give speeches and there's music and it's a festival yeah. and it's a good time. And, and then young people might actually want to engage uh, with, with you and you might shift some minds because it's, it's not just like a stuffy dude in a pinstripe coming to tell them why. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why and why collectivism is evil and and, and so i wonder <laughs> how, how have you been thinking about your strategy and tactics concerning uh, political involvement in a in a more official or elected sense uh through the lens of your creative output um i haven't thought about it through the lens of my creative output really sometimes i'll get ideas for like what i want to do when i campaign like one idea one idea, I'm gonna like give out people my phone number to everybody I meet, you know, kind of like build a personal relationship. But I think um, I think using music now that I think about it will probably help a lot because people like music. If I threw, if I let's say I throw a, a Patriot J Freedom Festival, a bunch of people come. They don't. They're not interested in the politics. The neutrals are gonna be like, wow. Well, everything they said, like was pretty on point. And then maybe even the liberals would say, you know what? I think I was wrong about them on this issue. Let me see what they're talking about. I think, I think it's important just to have conversations and talk about things and present ideas because that might change someone's mind. You might not change the mind of the person you're talking to, but a third party might see that and it might plant a seed. And then like 10 years down the line, they might be like, well, you know what? Patriot Jay was right. And that's hmm. what I'm here. I'm here for the long game. I don't, I don't really care if people hate me right now. It's, it's whatever. Do you suppose that music is a more potent tool for changing minds than perhaps orating or, uh, you know, some of these other forms of uh, attempted influence that people engage in? Because, you know, obviously, let's let's call it the, the collectivist types have a lot of influence in Hollywood and on the radio and in academia. And it seems to have had a profound effect on the mentality of uh, especially this most recent generation. And I wonder maybe if, um, you know, people like you or Zuby or uh, you know, obviously, to a to a much wider audience, Kanye. Do you do you suppose that the creative output is shifting minds more effectively than than say just presenting a a, a thoughtful argument in text or you know on a like a periscope like this or something? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's more useful. I think everything really is just tools that we all have. Like I. Like I can make a nice song and I could also put together a nice speech, 
And I could probably do like a really nice blog post too. I think it's it's necessary to kind of attack it at all avenues because certain people certain people might might not like music or certain people might just really want to read a 500 word blog post about why commies are bad. And so um, I think it's I think it's good to kind of stay stay keep keep everything balanced. I don't think we should like focus too much on putting out music or focus too much on like hitting people with podcasts. And then even when it's like making music, I don't think it's a good idea to kind of focus on, well, let's say I'm just going to do some right leaning music. Like I think people should just make music. That's good because if it's good, like everybody's going to listen to it. Not mm. to say, not to say make intentionally making right leaning music is bad. Cause I kind of do that sometimes, but I'm just saying that, I think even a song, a song doesn't have to be explicitly political for it to change someone's mind, you know? Hmm. Yeah. So, so this is something I've been listening to you talk about a little bit in this podcast here. And I've been, I've been thinking about because um, you're Patriot J because that's who you are. And, and maybe you have found a little bit of attention that might have shifted your your output or your way of presenting yourself a little bit because you feel a responsibility to yourself to, or, or, you know, or whatever, but you've been called coon or I'm sure you've been called uncle Tom or shit like that. And I, I guess I wonder, I, I think you feel like you're being genuine to yourself and I get that read off of you too. And I've, I've known you for a while. And, but do you feel like there are sort of, uh, shills or, or just, uh, people who have recognized that there's a niche out there for them to gain a little notoriety and they're just kind of kind of the sociopathic types that are like well if i'm a black guy and i say conservative stuff uh, i'm going to be able to get attention and then i can use that to oh yeah you know, I've, and, and there there are definitely people who do that and i think um the bot that i copied and pasted is a perfect example of that they said what did they say they said i've been a democrat my whole life I joined the Black Lives Matter protest months ago and they began. They opened my eyes wide. I didn't realize I became a Marxist. It happened without me even knowing it. I'm done with this trash. I'm giving, oh, I'm registering Republican. I'm giving Twitter a shot. That's like a perfect, that's a perfect, um, like a perfect tweet of, and a perfect example of all you have to say as a black guy to kind of like pop off and I've definitely seen a lot of people do that. They're like, it's brand new accounts. They're like, hey, I'm black and I like Trump. Can I get a million followers? I'll follow you guys all back. And I don't know why the boomers fall for it. They fall for it every time. I came back to Twitter to see another another chain message like that. There was somebody talking about, sorry, I lost all my friends because I support Trump or something like that. And it's just, I don't know. It, it sucks to see the opportunist. But it also sucks to see people not being able to gauge when someone is genuine or not. Hmm. Do you suppose that that is sort of the, the the real end of the of the sort of stuff that's harped on by the by the leftists a lot, which is you know a lot of boomers, especially a lot of white boomers, maybe they weren't always so kind to black people, and and now maybe they've had a, a realization that that probably needs to change or yeah. their kids are feel very differently about that. And they're just like, Oh, well, 
here's a black guy and he shares political beliefs with me. Maybe now's my chance to sort of, and do you think maybe that's sort of what is blinding them to being able to be a little more thoughtful or uh, pay a little closer attention to what's happening and not get suckered into some of this bullshit? Pro probably. I mean, I haven't really thought about like what the old white guy thinks about, but I think that's, I think that's a good reason. Oh, Kelly D's coming in hot. Yeah, I got, I got a landline here. You might be a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> I live with a couple of boomers. <laughs> How's that treating you? Do they, cool. do they just believe everything you say? Oh, I know. <laughs> they, they, um, they get on my ass about liking Donald Trump every day. And it's like, come on, for the past four years, every day they ask me, you still like Trump? What's up with your boy? And it's like, the answer is going to stay the same. I, there's 60 days until the election. I'm not magically going to support Joe Biden in like a week, okay? <laughs> Especially Joe Biden. I mean, come yeah, on, Yeah, come on, of all people... <laughs> It's it, that's something I want to talk about that a little bit, I think, because that's something that's really I, I, I get I suppose I understand it, but but it's still it doesn't take away the shock value. It's like this, this guy, this guy, this is the guy. This is the guy that you're going to hold up as an example of somebody better than Trump. Yeah. He's older. He says <laughs> way more racist shit than Trump ever has. He, yeah. And that's when you can remember what he's supposed to say in the first place. Right. He's talking about kids rubbing his legs in the pool. I mean, he's sniffing everybody. He's sniffing everybody's wife, sniffing everybody's kids. It's like, this is the guy. You, uh, there was nobody. The pool was empty. It was just this one guy sitting in the bottom of an empty pool, <laughs> scratching his balls and wondering where he's at. And you're like, this is the guy we're going to – It's It's so don't sad. Don't you think that they just – it has to be intentionally they throw in this one, right? Don't you think? I think so. I think so because you wouldn't, you wouldn't seriously run Joe Biden if you really wanted to win. The dude, the dude is not a good candidate. He is such a weak candidate, and everybody knows it. There is no enthusiasm for him at all. Nobody likes him. I've seen maybe two Biden signs or stickers in the past year. Nobody likes the guy. I see I see people on Instagram talking about let's settle for Joe Biden. And that's so sad and they want to make they want to make me out to be the bad guy because I'm proud and happy to go vote for Donald Trump while they're like pathetically whimpering and sad casting their ballot for Joe Biden. Hmm. Don't you think that seems to be a pattern with the Democrats though where they kind of throw one election to get a little more momentum on the other because uh like john Kerry and al gore are great examples of that they've got no personality yeah. there's they're just boring as hell it's, nobody likes them nobody wants to be around them nobody takes like nobody would want to have a beer with either of those two guys yeah but then obama is this, guy, this very compelling figure and he's a black guy and he can speak well and you know he he have an afro and they called him barry and he's like yeah barry. i might as well quit. I'm one of the brothers, except now I talk like this, and I'm I'm very calm, cool, and collected. Ah! I have a hard time leaving behind the cigarette. My my wife may or may not be a man. Trust me, about I that smoke lot, but... <laughs> Yeah, I smoke pools, two packs of pools a day. I'm I'm hip. I'm with it. <laughs> but but I, I suppose, and plus, Trump has given 
the media and the other powers that be quite a gift in his ability to keep them relevant. I mean, CNN, yeah. CNN seems like an organization that would be bankrupt without the ability to say, I hate Donald Trump for, you know, on every program of every hour of every Even day if and Trump get people riled up tweeting, about it. If Trump stopped tweeting, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. Nobody would tune in. Yeah. And I, I guess I wonder, Donald Trump seems to be aware of that. I mean, he keeps them in the news cycle. He'll say, you're fake news. And then it gives them something to talk about for the next week. Yeah. And it keeps him in the media too. But do you, I guess I wonder your thoughts on his level of strategic thinking when it comes to that. Do you think he wants CNN to stick around because then uh, it gives him the sort of juxtaposition between them and Fox News to keep him on every side all the time? Or do you think he's just Trump being Trump? Or, or what's the percentage either way? I think... I think he's Trump being Trump, and I think Trump being Trump is the strategist. You know, I don't think he, I don't think he does these things unintentionally or just, just like hoping for like the media to attack him. I feel like he knows what he's doing every time he sends out a tweet or every time he calls like Jim Acosta fake news. To me, at least, it mm -hmm. seems very calculated. I had. Yeah. Well, here's 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 a little thing to maybe put in your your processing component here is I had a conversation with a person in private who is in a position to know. And I asked him because he told me first, he said they have so many people around him trying to keep him off the phone and limit the news that he's exposed to and limit the Aha! things that he's um, engaging with that are not. And I said, no. More than other presidents, and he said way more than other presidents. And wow. so I think, but I, I'm not necessarily certain that he didn't do that for himself. I, I think maybe he knows that he needs to limit how much of Trump being Trump he puts out there because he's got presidential things to do and all this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I'm not necessarily sure where to land that other than I have it on good authority that there's a uh, a concerted effort to maybe keep Trump from being Trump so often, even yeah. within his own administration. And uh, maybe, maybe you could offer up some thoughts about let's, let's suppose that, that is true. What do you think is behind that? I don't know. I think that sucks if that's true, because I feel like people want Trump to be Trump. We elected the guy so he could yesterday he goes, he tweets about the guy who shot the LAPD sheriff, I believe. RIP, but he says something like animals, <laughs> we need to like, kill them all basically. And that shit's just good content, dude. It's great. I don't, I don't think the, it seems like the powers that be are trying to limit that or trying to make him seem more presidential when it's okay. We all know the guy is not like the most noble and like most, most noble president we've had. I like Trump cause he's a regular hmm. guy. I feel like Trump keeps it real. Yeah, you know, Kurt Schlichter wrote about that in his book. He's like, look, if Trump is the guy who, if you asked a working class guy, what would you do if you had a billion dollars? He's doing exactly what the guy would do. <laughs> yeah, Hot chicks, right. put his name on everything, partying it president. up, golfing all day. Yeah. Yeah, go for I'm going to be president. I tell you what, I'm gonna do hot checks and be president. That's what I'm gonna do with a billion dollars. It's yeah. like that. It's like that scene from Office Space. Hey, hey, Lawrence, what would you do if you had a million dollars? I'd probably do two chicks. 
<laughs> and Trump's like, yeah, that's what you would do. I've done it. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so look, man, I, I guess I wonder, you, you have this platform. This is the Patriot J show today. What are some of the things maybe that you don't get a chance to talk about or that people don't ask you about, or that you feel like are important that you don't often have a chance to get into? Hmm. Um, let's think about that. I feel like I love to nerd out about rap music and I don't get to do that a lot mm. of the times online anymore. Like I'll do it still, but it's just, it's never as engaging as I would like it to be, but I really love rap music. I just think rap music is the greatest thing on earth since sliced bread. It's beautiful. It's got the power to, um, it's got the power to combine cultures. It's got the power to, uplift your day shit just makes me happy rap music we could talk about rap music mm. forever let's talk about some raps chance yeah let's do that because look i got into hip-hop when i was like didn't have a pube yet and <laughs> it was a weird situation for me because because i'm in utah and uh, surrounded by mormons yeah. Surrounded by very conservative white Mormons who are just like, what are you listening to? I was like, well, listen, man, Big Daddy Kane is the shit. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but I love this. <laughs> I go to work. <laughs> but, That's so, hilarious. So I guess I wonder if we, let's, if we want to wind this up a little bit. Uh, what? How much of how much of your growing up was hip hop already just a part of it, and how did your your personal taste in hip hop start to develop over the years. Um, all right, so I guess I was I was sort of a late bloomer. The very first rap album I had, I was probably like four. It was Aaron Carter's CD. Are you familiar with Aaron Carter, Teen Pop Star? <laughs> yeah, bro. He had he had yeah, bars, dude, bro. I know Aaron Carter. <laughs> he had he had bars, yeah, bro. Yo, I <laughs> No, so like that was um I was bumping Aaron Carter when I was when I was like super young. Um but probably I got into rap music, let's say seriously when I was maybe like 14. Prior to from like 3 to like 14 was a whole bunch of um like alternative, maybe soft rock, some metal. I'm a huge System of a Down fan. System of a Down growing up was they were like my gods. Um, but I got into rap probably around 13, like 2010, and that was the blog era. So people were coming, people coming up were like J. Cole, Wale, Little B, Tyler, the creator, um, who are kind of like, I guess, somewhat of the giants now. But when, when they were coming up, oh, Wiz Khalifa too, Mac Miller, when those guys were coming up. I had just started going on the internet and it was like, Oh cool. Let me download all these guys mixtapes. And that's kind of, I guess where my foray into hip hop began and Eminem, as I said earlier, my favorite rapper, I didn't really get into him until about 2013. Like that's when I discovered Eminem before 2013, I had listened to uh, the Eminem show. I had that CD when I was probably like six, 
Um, but that was the only M album I had. So when I was 13, one day I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go listen to every single Eminem album. And that shit, life-changing. I listened to um, like the Marshall Mathers LP. I was like, fuck, like I know why people like this now. And so I think what's great now is that I get to go back and appreciate all of like the old greats. So um, I just listened to LL Cool J's discography, like his greatest hits recently, just to see what people are talking about. Because Eminem always talks about how great LL Cool J is. So I listened to LL Cool J. And when I was in Vegas, I was like, hell yeah, I'm bad. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's good stuff. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love, um, I love wanna, that there's see my no shortage. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> Here's my LL version. <laughs> 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 uh, if, anybody's, if anybody's just listening chance just lick the fuck out of his lips <laughs> yeah but no it's so it's it's great to kind of go back and listen to all the old heads music and see see why it's so highly revered and i can do that now especially being like a young adult i can appreciate it more than if i was even like 13 or even if i was like 10 Hmm. See, my story is a little bit different, and um, I don't even necessarily remember how I got into hip hop. Probably some of the kids I was smoking pot with in sixth grade or something. But yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> but I got into all the all the stuff from the early on, you know. And it was like, I mean, Big Daddy Kane was one of my first favorites. I just loved that guy because he would just go off for a hundred bars. And, and see, that, that's still somebody that, like, I've never voice. listened to. He's just like he was Huh. And and what happened with me is I I got into these guys from the 80s who were storytellers and who were literate and who could weave these stories and talk about their lives and talk about their dreams. And it was something that hadn't happened yet. You know, it was like they're they're sort of painting their dreams as a picture for you. It wasn't it wasn't these guys who had already just gotten a million dollar contract before they'd ever yeah. even put out a song because you know they had, they had some following and some A and R's like let's let's get that guy on before somebody else scoops him up and give him a million dollars and then tell him to buy a five hundred thousand dollar chain and a five hundred thousand dollar car <laughs> so he actually doesn't have anything and then and we'll sell it to him deal and we'll give him three points yeah that's right but you know so when I got into the early stuff then. I started listening to the shit on the radio. I'm like, this is whack. This is so, yeah. this is so bad. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of a few people, like, you know, everybody, everybody appreciates Tupac and Biggie, whether or not you, you like them or not, you kind of go, okay, well these, you know, this is the West coast guy. This is the East coast guy. These guys right. were sort of like the godfathers of the next decade of music. And you have to kind of appreciate their influence. And, and I like both of those artists and I love Dr. Dre and I love, a lot of West Coast stuff, too short, and <laughs> yeah, and all kinds of stuff. But I got into underground hip hop pretty heavily because when I was turning on the radio, nobody sounded like my favorite guys from the '80s. Nobody had vocabulary. Nobody was really telling stories. It was all just the same sort of like a. I will like shoot a, you. Bow, shake. bow, bow, bow. Yeah, yeah. I will shoot you. Yeah, or I will or shoot I, you or and make I it sound cool. It's like well, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you're gonna do that, then you got to make it sound cool. You know, you got to actually—it's got to be. You got like a—I'll give you a great example of who does a really good job of that, and it's because it's actually his real life for the most part is a mortal technique. You you listen to 
you listen to like his first two albums or you listen to the song parole and he's like, I'm out of jail and I'm never going back again. <laughs> and it's like, dude, that's, I feel that because I know that right. you feel that. Yeah. And, uh, but so do you, I, I watched this documentary one time on hip hop and there was a very interesting line in there because they had Aesop rock and were interviewing him and they asked him, do you ever feel weird being a white guy making music and gaining notoriety in music that was created by black people? And Aesop Brock's is kind of bug-eyed guy. You know, he's tall. He's like six foot three. And he's kind of got hunched shoulders and he's, he's kind of got one bug eye and he's done a lot of acid chips uh -huh. and you can tell, you know, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, I do. But that's always how it's gone. You know, Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, created this great rock music and then the next decade was filled with white guys trying to be Jimi Hendrix. And do I feel a conflict about that? Yeah, I do. And <laughs> is it going to be weird and sad one day when only white guys making hip hop records? Yeah, it's going to be yeah. weird. And I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> and I guess I wonder, <laughs> do you, do you kind of feel weird having your introduction to hip hop be Aaron Carter? <laughs> is that Because there's this rich, and rich culture, and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm slamming with Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I guess it is a little weird. I feel, I felt weird. Some, sometimes I feel weird that my favorite rapper is a white guy. I'm like, damn, there's all these black rappers. <laughs> my favorite rapper is the white guy, but he's just really good. Um, nah, I don't know. Sometimes I think about, I guess, race and music when I'm like checking out the demographics of like who listens to my song and it's like, Oh, like I'm reaching like old white guys who are aged like 50 to 65. Like, this is kind of cool, a little weird, but it's cool that I get to like, I'm, so, I'm probably somebody's introduction into rap music. And that just makes me really happy. Yeah. That, that's, that's a cool thing. And, I, I sometimes I, I even feel conflicted because my favorite rapper is Aesop Rock. I, I just I dig the way he thinks. He's a he's a poet who just happens to be a poet for hip hop and he loves hip hop. And he yeah, you know, he he brings a he brings a DJ on turntables with him every tour and he's always, you know, he's he's true to the roots and I appreciate that. But he's also just he's he's got a four year degree in English from Boston College. He's a legit thinker and that's something that I really appreciate. But then, you know, I look and I look at the roots and this is this is a place where it's, people maybe on the more conservative side of politics need to be honest about stuff. It's like, dude, have black people been exploited in entertainment forever? Yeah, man, they yeah. have. And you know, it's like, I, I I sometimes I think like, well, should I feel bad about Aesop Rock being my favorite rapper? And then I go, well, no, because I just like him the best. He's got he's got all this skill and he's developed a skill that right. I really appreciate. And it's not like I'm only listening to rappers. I'm not like, oh, <laughs> this guy's black. I can't listen to his music, you know. So uh, <laughs> right, and, you know, black rapper. How dare he? Ninety-five percent of the rappers I'm into are black dudes. So it's like, well, okay. Just because my favorite face off rock doesn't mean I had to feel bad about that. Um, yeah. In fact, I was just listening recently to Cannabis. He's got this song Hundred Bars and. Uh, it's a, it's one of my favorites from him. He was just a dude. He had that voice, you know, just like the kind of gravelly yeah. raspy voice and he can freestyle for 25 minutes in a row. It's crazy. And I I've, love that I've watched his clips and it's just nuts. So, okay. So you got your ear to the ground now. Who are some of the artists that you're excited 
up and coming right now that you feel like are going to make an impact or you hope are able to get enough influence to be able to make an impact? Whether local guys or, or national acts or whatever that you have um, seen or heard from that you're excited for. I don't, I don't really have my eye out that much where I'm listening to, like, I don't know, people who don't have, like, at least a couple hundred thousand plays or something. But one hmm. rapper, really big fan of this guy from St. Louis, I think, Comethazine. He makes just, like, ignorant music, and his music makes me want to shoot people but it's so good. It's just ridiculously ignorant. <laughs> like, oh my God. One of his bars, he goes like, God don't like ugly and neither do I. It's just, it's simple shit like that. But I really, <laughs> I, I, I really like his music. Um, it's funny. He's got, he's got another line. This is when I realized how good he was. He was like, um, gas so loud that it smelled like a sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so I, I i really um i'm listening to a lot of comethazine these days um i've been listening to a lot of eminem obviously he's like a global artist um i've kind of been listening to royce the five nine a lot recently due to his connections with eminem and his ability to go bar for bar with eminem on a song um who else let me see let me look at my spotify Cause I feel like it always changes who I'm listening to. Eminem, we got Playboy Cardi is pretty cool. Um, I think that's it, really. I just I've been listening to too much Eminem. His Have you listened to his uh, newest album, Music to Be Murdered by? Ah, uh, it's really good. You need to listen to that. I I bought the physical CD. That's how good it is. Mm. I to be honest, I haven't listened to much of Eminem after uh, like the. The Eminem show, maybe. Oh man, dude, old old Eminem is great. He's like forty something, rapping about how he's forties. Yeah, uh, I. <laughs> I first got into Eminem with a. I didn't mean to give you mushrooms, girl. I didn't mean to bring <laughs> yeah, you to my, world. my world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a singer. I really like when he sings too. He's got a he's got a really nice singing voice. There's this song. Um, Farewell, I think, is the name of the song off of the latest album where he's singing, and it's really good. Hmm. So I'm curious. Do you feel like you listen to less hip-hop or less into hip-hop now that you're a hip-hop artist? Does it, has um, it taken away from the magic of it for you? No, no. If anything, it's it's given me more magic. Because when I'm listening, when I'm listening to like Eminem, a lot of the times I'm like, fuck, how did he do that? And so I have to like sit there and think about how he did that. There are some there are some lines where I don't get it until I've wrapped it for like the 70th time and then it just clicks for no reason. I'm like, oh, shit. And I live for those moments. So I think I think being a hip hop artist, I get to listen to hip hop with a different kind of ear and. I get to listen for like technical shit that I really like. Hmm. That's a uh, haven't haven't been ahead for so long and freestyling basically every day of my life since I was yeah. like sixteen or something. Um, it's part of the kick I get out of it too. Is like, damn, this guy is so good. And right and now, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'll be thirty five in a month or something, and so 
I'm 10 years older than most of these guys rapid these days. Um, and, and I, and I think, man, this guy's really got a skill. This is very interesting. But at the same time, dude, I got to be honest. I'm kind of a hater with a lot of the new hip hop. I, I, <laughs> I don't like a lot of this. Dude, shit. You like, just, you, you gotta, uh, <laughs> what you have to do. I was a hater too. I hated it. And then I was like, well, fuck, they're just going to keep putting out this music. Let me just listen and stop, I don't know, critiquing. And so that's how I ended up liking Comethazine, a guy whose music makes me want to shoot people. Because I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'll just listen to it. Because especially especially being young, like, I can't avoid it. I go out. People are playing Little Pump. People are playing Little Uzi. I used to be the biggest Little Uzi hater. And then he put out this recent album, Eternal Take. And I just love the guy now. Hmm. So at, at a certain point... I can't like your music if the word Lil is involved. <laughs> At a certain point, I just like, I gave up and I released any standards that I had for music and I just learned to accept it, which is very sad if you think about it. It's like, it's like the people who vote for Joe Biden. We're just settling. Like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll just, I'll settle for little, little rap star, whatever. <laughs> yeah, little rap star, dude. That should be your alter ego. <laughs> for real. Little rap star. <laughs> Coming back with some crap star. <laughs> Sometimes when I have hemorrhoids, it makes my craps hard. <laughs> uh, it's relatable. Hemorrhoids. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look, uh, we've been going on for about 80 minutes here. we got a few people with us. Uh, if they want to ask some questions, now would be a great time to, to do that. And, and maybe uh, I'll quickly throw out a tweet and just and tell people they should come ask us some questions. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I just I just tweeted about it also. You just wanted to tell people I was licking the fuck out of my lips. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might just clip that out and put that as my pinned tweet. <laughs> hey LL, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this flawless impression. <laughs> okay, so uh, here, I'll, I'll put this up on the screen here. Uh, we've got a question from Mr. 3MMA who says, uh, what are your thoughts on the L.A. shooting? Oh, man. I was in L.A. yesterday, um, but I haven't have a chance to look into it because I was busy yesterday. I was I was partying at a MAGA rally, so I didn't really I didn't really look too deep into it. I heard some cops got shot, which sucks. I saw the video, actually. I saw the video. That was a pretty bad video, but I don't know too much about it. Hmm. Got to hear both sides. You, you haven't you haven't formed an opinion without knowing any of the facts yet? Yes. I, how silly of me. I know that's frowned upon these days. Huh. Okay. Well, sorry, Mr. 3MMA. It looks like we're not going to get any juicy shit to get mad about or no, get no, raw. No, setting sound bites. Huh. Okay, well, here's something to get people butthurt while we're waiting for another question to roll in, which is, uh, um, what what about uh, Rittenhouse and the Kenosha shit? What are you? What are your thoughts? Oh around? man! So I saw people calling this guy a terrorist, and I was like, "Come on, bro! This is this is obviously an act of self defense." I think being a law student has made me more objective, hmm. and what I saw was some guy being chased after. First of all, why are you chasing some guy who has a gun? He's the only guy in the crowd, it looks like, with the 
big ass gun and you think it's a good idea to like go and be a martyr and hit him with your skateboard, you should probably just go home. Um, it's just stupid though. And, and the outrage was so, in my opinion, unjustified. Calling the man a terrorist for defending himself is just so absurd. These people act like he was out there indiscriminately shooting all these protesters as if the dude didn't just shoot the two people who attacked him. Like, if the people never attacked the guy with the gun, the guy with the gun wouldn't have had to use the gun. It's, it seems pretty straightforward and simple to me. Well, here's the thing to think about, maybe, that might add a little nuance to this conversation, which is, um, should you, as a person, show up to a place armed and ready to go unless the fight has been brought to you? Uh, because, on the one hand... If someone was trying to attack me with a skateboard or had a pistol in their hand, I'd shoot them dead. No questions. Oh, yeah. That's just I, I would. But at the same time, um, would I necessarily show up with a rifle and um, put myself in harm's way? <laughs> no. Maybe that wasn't the wisest decision either. And so I guess I wonder, could, because I believe the kid thought it was his duty or that he was doing the right thing by showing up to do that. But yeah, maybe it wasn't a wise decision. And, and now he might, you know, he, he one way or the other – He's shot people and killed a guy, and that's yeah. gonna fuck him up. Just yeah. it is. It was it was and, definitely and, not a wise call for him to go. Yeah, like that's well, just, I don't know if if I if I told my mom I was like, hey mom, I'm taking my medic pack and my AR. Uh, I'm going like 30 minutes across the border to just go save some people. She would be like, no, dude, like stay home. <laughs> yeah, you can stay here and we'll argue about Trump. That'll be safer than. <laughs> That's for real. <laughs> okay, uh, Mr. 3MMA has another question right here. What about the fires? And I assume he's asking whether or not Antifa is bringing the, um, bringing the heat literally to the... <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know. This, this happens as a California native. I see it happen every year. I see these fires burn and burn, and people want to talk about, oh, my God, it's climate change, but they don't talk about how after the investigation comes out, it's usually found that it was arson. And arson is not climate change. Arson is man-made. So I'm not I'm not willing to put it past that a lot of these fires are man-made. Hmm. And There's intentionally man-made cigarette butts. Probably some intentionally man-made ones. Hmm. And do you think that's political or just psychopaths, pyromaniacs, just like, I'm going to start a fire. This will be fucking awesome. Uh, it could be political. It could be pyromaniacs. I've heard that, I don't know, California uses the nah, the federal funds from their like emergency declaration as part of like wildfire combating. It might just be our crazy bureaucrats trying to get some more bread, but I don't know. Cash money. Yeah. Uh, so... Mr. MMA is asking plenty of questions here. He's very active. And he's, he's asking here, what about the suppression of Twitter not letting Pizzagate collect? And, and I want to add to this a little bit. Um, number one, you know, back when Pizzagate happened, it was just like, see, this is patently absurd. There are no pedophile rings. And it's like, okay, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so yeah. maybe this is a false flag, but we kind of got this other stuff. But there, there does seem to be certain issues, uh, like the pedophiles in power kind of thing, that Twitter just really doesn't uh, – allow for momentum to catch on these things. And, and I guess uh, to sort of broaden the scope of the question, what, what do you think is behind that? And do you, you know, I, I guess just 
run to some thoughts on on the idea that Twitter is targeting specific subjects, especially subjects like this that are of great endpoint. This is, you know, like sex trafficking of underage people is probably one of the greatest problems in the world as far as the severity of the thing and and how damaging it can be to the people who are involved in it, both both as perpetrators, honestly, and as the victims. I mean, you're involved in an Epstein situation. That's going to ruin you as a person one way or the other. And so I guess just what what are your thoughts surrounding all of this shit? So I was on Twitter the other day and somebody posted a screenshot. It was them searching Pedowood and there were no results. And I was like, nah, this has to be a glitch. So I tried it myself. I searched Pedowood, nothing came up. And that, that was, yeah. So I didn't realize how hard they were going with censorship. I was only gone for two weeks. I thought they would, I thought they would still let me like search Pedowood. But for them to kind of – somebody obviously has to be making these decisions at the top of Twitter. You don't just accidentally get Petalwood removed from the search engine. Somebody has hmm. to be making this call. I don't know where the call is coming from. I don't know if it's coming from the Biden campaign. could be coming from China. It could be coming from Hollywood. Who knows? It could be coming from Epstein, for Christ's sakes. I yeah. don't know. I don't know where it's coming from, but I can I can see that somebody has said, hey, the election is in about 60 days. We're going to need you to actively censor everything we don't agree with. And I don't think it's the Trump campaign saying these things. Hmm. So, and hey, uh, check check this. No results. Man. Yep. No results. That's However, ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And so I, but I, I have literally seen people say Petawood in their tweets. So. Um, it is pretty bizarre. And you think it's it's pressure from the top down, or do you think it's just people working at Twitter who are maybe of a certain political persuasion who are doing it as a like a vigilante situation? Ooh. And now I, I think I definitely think it's top down because if you go if you, if you look back at like the WikiLeaks from the sixteen campaign and it showed how uh, the Hillary campaign was in cahoots with everybody in the media, I think mm-hmm. those people who are in cahoots kind of are going to extend it to the media and the media is like Twitter, the people at Twitter, the people at Instagram. So this is almost like a, a wizard of Oz situation where it's like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. And then you look and it's, it's like, it's a pedophile. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, doesn't look like we have any more questions coming in here and we've been going for about 90 minutes. Uh, so, Maybe we should start winding this down. Are there any are there any things we didn't talk about that you want to, or do you have any maybe final thoughts to offer the folks before we start to uh, tail this out? Um, I'm going to talk about my album. I yeah, buddy. Last, last time we spoke, I talked about an album. Never came out. It's just sitting in the vault. It's, it's beautiful. I might release it one day down the road in like 10 years. That's something like Prince. Like- <laughs> yeah, no, something I always think about, like, why don't these rappers release, like, just, like, why why doesn't Eminem put out a mixtape of all the songs that didn't make the Marshall Mathers LP? Like, that wouldn't that be great in 2020? But, um, so I'm sitting on one album, but this next album, the Patriot J debut album, should be really good. I think I'm going to have 10 songs on there. I'm going to get a feature from Anomaly. We're going to drop that track. Um Probably at the end of September, too. We're going to shoot a music video for it soon. Um, I'm talking about I'm talking about my life as a law student, 
my life as a black conservative, my life as uh, somebody who loves rap music. And it's kind of just, I, I want this to be, I guess, my introduction to the world. And I'm trying to put out a classic piece of hip hop art. I don't, that's, that's, I just want, I want like Eminem to hear my album and respect my bars. Cause I've been, I've been making music for a long time. And I felt like that I, I haven't been at a point where like my bars are like, whoa, like fuck. But now I think I got some pretty good bars. Like, oh my God, I got this bar, dude. Such a great bar. I said, um, America is my home and shit. Fuck a globalist. I hate those niggas like the Doja bitch, dude. <laughs> it's it's shit like that. And it's just like shit that makes me happy. It's like, oh, fuck. How did I come up with that? So um, I just I want people to like listen to it and like, I don't know, critically analyze it. Not like just listen passively, like listen to what I'm saying, because I'd be I'd be spitting bars. Every bar, every bar matters because every bar is hard to come by. Like it's it's hard. It's hard to make rap music, but it's easy. But oh, salute, salute, Mr. 3MMA. But yeah, a lot of the times. So look, like oh, we'll talk about. I said, don't mess with my 1A, you get the 2A, null is the 3A, don't break the 4A, I plead the 5A, then get the 6A, in with the 8A right in your face. I feel like the founders wrote those, wrote the wrote the amendments in such a way where they knew I would be able to rhyme it um, about 240 <laughs> years later because it's just it's so perfect. Like I don't know, I don't know anybody who's rapping the fucking Bill of Rights. That shit is so hard to me, and it's it's just shit like that all over my album. Just little little things that make me nerd out and things that make me happy. And I think the things that make me happy will make some other people happy. Hmm. There's this line from Aesop Rock. He says, uh, once I quit and said I didn't care, that's when they all threw their hands in the air. And, and you know, he's talking about how if you if you are true to yourself and you're just like, I'm not doing this for anybody but me, and I'm trying to make the best music that I can want to listen to and that I'm proud to have put out, people can tell that that's yeah. what you're doing. Tell that you are passionate about what you're doing, that you're being true, that you're being honorable to yourself and honoring your creative mission. And when you do that, the people who agree with you or who vibe with you or who are in alignment with the things that you're saying or appreciate that kind of thing, they're going to be like, this is awesome. And so, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. I feel like, I feel like I had to do the same thing when I was, there was probably an era, maybe like a year ago, probably, yeah, it was definitely a year ago where I felt like I was just making music to kind of like get people's attention and like i would be like trying to calculate like how do you make a good rap song like what are things i should include um whereas now it's just like i'm going back to my roots i'm rapping about politics because it's just shit i love and it's so it's so much easier to come up with witty metaphors when i'm talking about stuff that i've like studied for a long time it's, it's just stuff that's kind of innate at this point like it's a lot easier to come up with bars about like Dick Cheney than it would be for me to sit down and come up with like, well, what is a unique way to describe a crackpot and how can I do this in ways that haven't been done before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what comes with development as an artist, just actually having some shit to talk about. If you have life experience, if you've, uh, been into some stuff if you have passions that you follow it outside of just creating music then you have the ability to speak 
yeah. about those things because you actually you're not just full of shit. You you have something to say because you have something to say. Exactly. Okay, man. So when's the album dropping? Um, I don't know. I could not tell you. I'm shooting for October. I have one song left to record. That's the Don Lemon diss track. That one's going to be good. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm eyeing probably like late October because my 11 year anniversary of being a rap artist is on, I think it's on October 21st. So I think a, a nice way to commemorate that would be dropping like a really good rap album. How are your but grades? I don't, I, I don't even have um I don't even have a name for the album. So, but how are your grades, bro? You keep you staying up on your grades? Oh yeah, dude, I'm doing great. I talked to my professor from last semester the other day just to see how I did on the test, and she said I got the second highest grade in the class. I was really proud. Oh yeah, good man. And okay, so October. 11 years, so that means you started rhyming when you were like four. Um, before you even started listening to hip-hop, you were a hip-hop artist, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> how, how old are you? Um, I'm 23. So I was, I was 12 in 2009 when I uploaded my first rap video to YouTube. <laughs> uh, is it still up? Uh, it's unlisted. I, I, I could send you the link later on. <laughs> yeah, let's see that. Oh, I love that. Okay, so we got an album dropping probably October. When's yeah. that song with Anomaly gonna? gonna um, Thought Criminal featuring Anomaly. We're gonna shoot the music video next weekend. Not sure how long the guy's gonna take to edit it. Probably two weeks. So we're looking at like a rough estimate of the first weekend of October, maybe the last hmm. week of September. That'll be a good way to build some hype too. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. And that'll probably be like my second single and then I'll drop the album and then a couple more. Cause I'm shooting like two other music videos this week or I mean this month also. And I'll probably drop those later down the line. I shot a music video. Um, I shot a music video in May for one of these songs when I was in DC also. Hmm. Yeah. And I just I just want people out there in Logos and Trifical Land to know that I offered my skills for this album, and he told me to send it to him. He told he told me to send my bars through the post service, so, <laughs> the post office. So he he just uh, Patriot J just straight dissed Logos and Trifical. I just want you to know it was not a diss. We could, we could have had something special, bro. <laughs> well, cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and I, I hope that you actually release this one instead of sticking oh, it in the oh, ball. Oh no, I'm I'm yeah. for sure going to. I I'm 100 going to. I've I've waited a long time for this moment to be able to drop an album for an audience of over like 30,000 people. So it, it should be a, a really fun time. Just gonna throw that up there without comment. And um... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so look, man. Um, I just want to say I'm really grateful for you taking the time to come and talk about this, some of the things yeah. or some of these things. Share your mind. And uh, I, I just want to throw one more thing at you. You're a young guy. Yeah. But you've got a good head on your shoulders and you've had a lot of uh, experience that maybe a lot of people your age haven't as far as influence yeah. and notoriety and, and connection. Cool yeah. Yeah, and you're in law school, you know. Most people don't have the chops to even get in much stick with it. So if there's another person sitting across from you 
maybe it's a young man, similar age. And he said, man, it's really wild what you're doing, Jay. And I feel like I would like to be able to make a difference in the world. And, you know, I have these collection of beliefs, but I'm, I'm not really good at talking about them yet. I don't have enough life experience maybe. And, and I'm feeling pretty confused about all these different avenues available to me and all this confusing rhetoric and propaganda going on around me. And I'm not exactly sure where to sort of get my foot in the door and be able to share the things that I think are important. If that guy or girl was sitting across from you and asking for your advice, what are one of the one or two of the things you might tell them to kind of get the ball rolling and help them understand uh, what they needed to do to be able to to start sharing their message in a way that would matter to other people? Really thought provoking question, sir. Uh, I would say, well, before before you go online. You got to make sure you're doing some cool shit offline because you're only as cool as you are online, as cool as you are offline. It's important to do cool shit offline. That way you can have stuff to share about online, talk about your perspective on something or talk about what you did. But I think um, an effective way to reach people, from, from my standpoint, at least what I've been able to do is connect with people through humor. Everybody likes to laugh. You can, Nobody... Nobody hates a funny guy, except for like liberals. But <laughs> but I think <laughs> I think connect figuring out what way you're best suited to reach people is important. Like not everybody's funny, but maybe you're the guy who can just make some extremely complicated idea sound very very. Um, succinct so it's all about locating your skills how effective you can communicate to people and then once you've kind of honed in on what you're good at just fine-tuning um so like me i'm funny and it's just like something it's something that's natural i've always been the class clown i've always i've always cracked jokes it's not like i'm trying hard to put on this hilarious funny persona it's just stuff that I think is funny are also things people people think are funny too. So what works for me is humor. What works for somebody else is different. But find what works for you and then fine tune it. Just tune it and tweak it. Trial and error is your best friend because you really you really get to see like what works, what doesn't work. And if you if it doesn't work, you can just not have to deal with that again. If you, if you keep doing something that doesn't work, then you obviously don't want to win. Hmm. Yeah, man, I feel that. Because for me, I'm very naturally talented in every regard. I'm handsome. I'm funny. I'm super smart. I'm just I'm an effective communicator. I, you know, so for me, I don't even really have to try. Yeah, but it's just it's just it's just the way of being at, at at this point. It's just like this is who I yes. am. I can't change it. Sorry, haters. <laughs> well, that's good, man. Um, I like that advice. Uh, number one, humor is. I've said before, if society can't laugh at itself, it's like Wiley e. Coyote who's already run off the cliff and just hasn't looked down yet. You know, it's like a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's we need you, humor. Humor is yeah. so critical. And I really like what you said about finding your specific talent and honing it to a razor's edge so that you can be most effective with it. I think yeah, 
like if I'll even can. I'll even admit I used to I don't know when I used to tweet I used to not take the like the satirical route I would try to I would try to I don't know be on my pseudo intellectual tip but it just doesn't work yeah uh, or maybe it, it only works for a certain certain variety and um, this yeah. person really recognizes <laughs> my talents I'm the most humble <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, but look, man, um, without uh, getting into too much more self-aggrandizement, I just uh, I want to say again, thank you for taking the time. Um, is there anything else you want to offer the people? Why don't you tell them where they can find you on the on the Internet? And uh, you can and find me on my Twitter account, which has recently been unsuspended at Sir Hottest, S-I-R-H-O-T-T-E-S-T. -T -E uh, YouTube, please subscribe to my YouTube Patriot J, watch my music video, Meet Patriot J. I just hit 10,000 plays, which blew my mind recently. Um, I'm on Instagram at SirHottest2. I got a website, PatriotJ2024.com, which will just link you to my one music video. That's it. Hell yeah, man. Uh, so anything else or are you good? I think I'm good. Uh, I'll tell the people. Just to stay happy. I don't know. It's a crazy world out there. If you got to unplug for a couple days or 14 or 17 days, just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, before they make you do it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, if that in that case, if you're good, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Well, in that case, this has been the Logos and Trivical Podcast. I've been Chance Lunsford. He's been Patriot J. This has all been allegedly, and we are out. <laughs> Later.